0: Okay, listen to our Bibles to Ephesians 2. And today we're coming to, probably, if I had to guess, the most famous verse in the book of Ephesians. And we're going to study these three verses together. Um, but it will be a part one and a part two because we are Baptists. So we have to do it like that. Um, so, But let's read together um, Ephesians 2 from verse 8 up until verse 10. Um, this is the word of the Lord For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will help us to understand these verses. Lord, that we would feel the sweetness of the freeness of your grace that our hearts will submit to it, but also rejoice in it, Lord, that it will humble us and encourage us, but also give us compassion, Lord, for those who are lost. That We might realize, Lord, that it's, we are not different than them in any way except by your grace. So, Father, teach us this afternoon. Fill us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been following along in the book of Ephesians, you realize the book of Ephesians is one of those books in the Bible which highlights the complete sovereignty of God over all things more than other books would. Just chapter 1 verse 4, just to read that again, it says, Even as He chose us when? In Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Look at verse 5. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Right. Look at verse 11. It says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of, his, of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will. Remember what we saw in chapter 2, verse 5, that it says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's when God saved us. It wasn't when we were, we were trying to seek for God or we were on our way to God. No, it was when we were dead. That's when God saved us. He is free. Right? Now, the question comes when we come to verses 8 to 10, but what about our faith? Right? Surely that's something we have contributed to our salvation. That's probably our part, right? In the salvation equation. Or what about our good works after salvation? Surely that's something we do. Surely that's something that we can take some credit for, right? Paul just says no. (laughs) He just says no. Okay? Even your faith, is a gift from God. And you know the good works you do? That has been prepared for you before you did them. That's God. It's God, it's God, it's God. So he gets the glory from beginning until end. So there's nothing left. So think about it. If it's your faith is a gift and if your good works has been prepared, what's there left to boast in? Okay, there's nothing left. You just Okay, Lord, you just take all of it. Take all of the glory. We will gladly give it to you for you are God and we are not. Right? To the praise of your glorious Grace. So that's what this, these two verses want to do, because we see that in the first word of verse 8 and the first word of verse 10. Notice that it says, four in verse 8, and again, for. So he's giving two reasons why we can't do verse 9, that no one may boast. So here are two reasons why you can't boast. Well, firstly, it's not from you, it's a gift. And secondly, the good works you do is from God. You are his workmanship, not your own workmanship. Okay, So that's where we're heading, right? The two reasons, I mean, only this often we're going to look at the first reason, that our salvation is only from God. It's all of God's grace. That's the first point. So the first, we're only going to look at this point together tonight. The first reason we have for no grounds for boasting is this, that your salvation is all of God's grace. Look at verse 8 again. It says, For by grace you have been saved, Through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So, our outline tonight is we're just going to look at a few phrases or words together as we study this. So, five phrases, five um, words we're going to study together. The first word or phrase we're going to look at is the word saved. It says, By grace you have been saved. So, when we see that word, the natural question that must come up into your mind is what? Okay, saved from what? When, when, when someone is drowning and we save him, we say, I've been saved from drowning. So if we rescue someone out of a burning building, we say, I've been saved from burning to death. So if we say as Christians, I've been saved, or we are saved by grace, great. Saved from what? Right? And at the end of verse 3, we get the answer. Remember, don't forget the context of this, this verse, of this chapter. Look at the end of verse 3. It says, among whom we all once lived... And it says, and we were by nature children of what? Of wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath, right? We are by nature from birth. We deserve God's wrath. All sin is capital punishment, right? All sin deserves. The fact that we are still sitting here is grace already. Even if you go to hell one day, the fact that you're still alive is God's grace. We are by nature children of wrath. And yet, He spares us. Why? Why? That we might repent. That we might find Christ. Right? So we are saved from God's wrath. There's a judgment day coming. God's wrath is coming. And if we're not in Christ, we will be judged. We will be condemned. We will suffer the wrath of God for all of eternity. Listen to Romans 5 verse 9. It says the same thing. It says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from what? The wrath of God. We will be saved from the wrath of God. Right? So sometimes the Bible says we are saved from our sin. But the only reason why we need saving from sin is because there is a God who is going to judge us for our sin. Right? We need to be saved from God's judgments. God's wrath. And our problem is we are sinners and he is holy. And he must judge us. So one day Jesus will come. He will judge the living and the dead. Every work. Every thought. Every attitude. That has ever been done in public or in secret will be judged. Every secret whisper will be exposed and proclaimed on the rooftops. Every secret click in private on our phones or on our laptops will be broadcasted for all to see. That's going to be the, that will be a terrifying day for many, many people, right? On that day, there won't be any grace if you are outside of Christ. There won't be anywhere to hide. Remember Revelation 6. The people are going to call for the mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. Interesting, the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus is going to come in judgment. So we are, this is what we need saving from, right? We are condemned. We are sinners. God is holy unless God himself saves us. Isn't that beautiful? God himself has to save us from God. God has to save us from his own judgment. That's why it doesn't, it It says, For God so loved the world, he had mercy on us. The same God that hates our sin came in, in love and sent his son to die for us. We were children of wrath, Jesus became that sin on the cross. We were meant to suffer for all of eternity, and Jesus suffered the wrath of God on the cross. We were children of wrath. And the Son of God became the Son of Wrath for our sin, that we might be saved from that very wrath that Jesus experienced on the cross. That's why Jesus, Jesus alone, is the only one that can save you. You can't save yourself. You can't do this. You only need Him. So listen to me. Run to Christ. Run to Him. Flee to Him. He's the only one that can save you from that coming wrath. If you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus alone, you will be saved. That's good news for us. So that's the first word we need to understand. We are saved. That's what the saving means. But the second little phrase we're going to look at is the first three words of verse 8. It says, for by grace, by grace you have been saved. That shows us what made the difference, right? Not for by Rian's works, for by our wisdom, for by this thing you have done. No, it is by grace you have saved. Now, you say, what is grace? Now, you can get a definition of that, and, but I think I want to illustrate it rather than defining it. Is We can see God's grace clearly on the cross with the thief on the cross, the one that died next to him. This is my favorite salvation story. This man was dying for his sins, right? This man has sinned his entire life. His entire life. He was on his deathbed, so to speak, with only a few more minutes to live. A few more minutes and he's into eternity. And he knows it. He knows he's a sinful man. He knows he has no hope. He has no time of reconciling to others, to ask for forgiveness. No time at all. So what does the man do? He just looks to Jesus and he says what? He doesn't even ask to save him. He says, remember me. Lord, would you just, would you just think of me? I know I can't even ask you to save me because I'm not even worthy of that. Would you just remember me in your king, when you enter into your kingdom? That's it. That's all he said, right? Remember me. He rolled his entire soul upon a dying savior. And that was enough. That enough. That's enough. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, when we think about that, Lord, but why? No, that can't be right. He hasn't done anything yet. And he can't even do anything yet after he has cast his soul upon you. He hasn't confessed every sin he has done, Lord. He hasn't made everything right with other people that he has sinned against. Surely, shouldn't he at least burn for a few thousand years in purgatory? At least. At least. Right? Just to pay off some of those sins that he has done. How is that fair, Lord? It's fair because of the man that was dying next to him. Because that man paid for his sins in full. The man on the cross that said to him, today you'll be with me in Paris, was dying for his life of sin. His life of sin was placed upon that precious son. That precious son of God. That's why it's fair. That's why God can forgive you legally. (laughs) Because your sins are paid. Your sins are forgiven. He can say, I can forgive you because your sins are gone. I am just to forgive you. Justice is satisfied. God can legally dismiss our case. And we can enter heaven completely forgiven. Completely righteous in God's eyes. Not because of our works. But by grace, you have been saved. By His work. So there is a misconception to say that it's not technically correct to say we're not saved by works. We are saved by works, but it's not our works. (laughs) We're saved by another person's works, right? Jesus's works saves us. So we're not saved by our works, but we are saved by works, and that's Christ's works. So, beloved, the simple question for us this afternoon is this. On what do you rely to be your righteousness before God. What do you rely to save you? What do you rely on to make you acceptable on that day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess? What makes you feel that you are ready? You are ready to die. It should be grace. It should be grace alone. Now, the opposite of this is what Paul said in two places in verse eight and nine. Just look at verse eight and nine. He again says, "By grace you have been saved." Through faith, and this is not your own doing. Look at verse 9. Not a result of works. Okay, Salvation is not your own doing. Not a result. Literally, he says, it is not from you and not from your works. That's literally how the Greek reads. It is the gift of God. We'll come back to that gift later. But how many people think that it is from them, right? How many people believe this, that it really is a result of their works? The moment that you work for something, then grace is no longer grace. If you work for something, now what you are receiving is your wage, is your due, it's your salary. You, you, you earn that. And if God doesn't pay you that, what you earn, then God is unjust, right? So if we could save ourselves from our own works, we can declare and claim from God, God, pay up. You owe me salvation. Lord, I worked extremely hard for you. You better save me. Where's my rewards? Okay. And you can look to other people that that haven't been saved by, that haven't been working so hard. It's like, oh, poor fools. If only they had the hardworking ethics that I had. If only they had that wisdom to make the right decisions. If only, right, then they too might stand a chance. The Pharisees really thought like this, right? Luke 18, um, I know we've been looking at this parable for so many, but it's so good. It so illustrates well this point. Look at Luke eighteen nine. It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, another a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners. Unjust, Adulterous. Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off. Would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast saying. God be merciful to me. A sinner. I tell you. This man. Went down to his house justified. Rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus says. The tax collector is righteous. The tax collector is justified before God. Not the the Pharisee that that rattled off all of his impressive little works that he did. That wasn't impressive to God. Because the Pharisee trusted in himself that he is righteous. Lord, surely you must save me. I'm a pastor. I'm a missionary. Lord, I've been in your church for so many years. Lord, you must save me. Look at how good I am. No. No. And the effects will be this. What will be the effect if you trust in yourself that you are righteous? You will despise other people, right? You look down upon the tax collector, this filthy tax collector, don't touch me. Thank you, God, that I'm not like these sinners, these people. And I think really racism comes very close to this self-righteousness. I think racism is actually just a form of self-righteousness. Because I have this skin color, or because I'm part of this culture... I am better than those people by default, right? If only they were like me. If only they were like my people, quote, unquote. But that's the same th- sin that the Pharisees are doing. They're trusting in themselves or in their culture or in their tradition or in their upbringing to be righteous before God. I've heard this question. I wonder if how many of you have ever thought about this question. This is a common question many prob- probably younger believers ask, and it's this question. It says, What will happen to me if I sin right before I die? So I sin right before I die. I die. Am I still going to heaven or am I going to hell? Or what's going to happen to me then if I sin right before I die? But again, that question assumes something that's deadly to our souls. It assumes this, that unless you have confessed every single sin that you've ever done, you won't make it. Well, then none of us is going to make it. I've done sins as a boy that I would never remember. <laughs> There's thousands of sins we have done that we would never remember, never be able to confess. So if, if our salvation dependent, depends on our confession, we're all doomed. We're all doomed. If it depends on our memories, good luck. Right? So it, it, again, it's that self-righteousness. I want to make sure that I've confessed every sin. If I just can get every sin rattled off and confess, then I know I'm saved. But ironically, that confession is self-righteousness. That confession is, I want to trust in my confession to save me, not in Christ. We're not saved by confession. We're not even saved by a prayer we prayed. We're not saved by the things we have done. We're saved by looking to Christ, trusting in Jesus to save us. There are other ways that we are self-righteous. Let me just list a few common phrases you might have heard in how people can talk about their self-righteousness, right? I'm not perfect, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> That's a common way. We, we kind of feel comforted by that, that all of us are not perfect, right? We think God must accept me because look at Karnu. He's also sinning, right? <laughs> but the thing is, God's not going to judge us based on how good we did against one another, but against his law, right? Or God sees my heart. He knows I'm a good person. Deep down. Yes, I get angry. Yes, I shout at my wife. Yes, I do these things. But deep down, the Lord knows. I've made a mistake. But from now on, I'm just going to try harder. From now on, just. Or God helps those who help themselves. Right? Now, all of them have the same theme. It is us. It looks to ourselves to be the Savior. It looks to us to do something to make us justified or righteous before God. Our efforts, our works, our intentions. But trying to save yourself is like trying to rearrange the chairs of a sinking ship. Okay? Your ship might look a little bit neater, but the ship is going down. (laughs) Okay? You need salvation off of that ship. Okay? That's why Jesus said this. What's the first... Um, beatitude he said in the sermon of I really believe that first part of the beatitudes that first verse is amazing and the rest of the sermon is to point to that blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven I love that blessed are those who have nothing who are spiritually bankrupt who come to God says God here's my sin that's what I can give you God says yours is the kingdom yours is the kingdom Because they look away from themselves. They look to God. They look to Him. Those are the type of people that God saves. So the key question for us is this. Where do you look? Where do you look for your confidence in your salvation? Where is your eyes resting upon? Now it's good to do some introspection to look and to see if you have sin in you and where you need to repent. But don't stay there. The famous saying of one of the Puritans says, For every one look at yourself, look ten times to Christ. Look ten times more to Him. I love the way Charles Spurgeon was saved. And I think this also highlights the point. Some of you, Charles Spurgeon, he was a Baptist. See, so you have to become a Baptist. (laughs) But as a young man, Spurgeon was deeply troubled by his sin and sinfulness. He would often dream about hell. He would often be constantly sad and worried about his salvation. He was, he was always full of doubt. And as a 15-year-old boy, Spurgeon was seeking shelter at an old Methodist church building, trying to hide from a snowstorm. He decided to attend the service that day. And on that day, the pastor wasn't there, so somebody else preached, a layman. A layman. A layman preached. And the person read Isaiah 45, verse 22, and it re- reads this, Look unto me, And be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Now listen to Spurgeon writes in his autobiography. He writes, he had not much to say, thank God, for that compelled him to keep on repeating his text. And there was nothing needed by me at any rate except his text. Then stopping, he pointed to where I was sitting under the gallery and he said, that young man there looks very miserable. And he shouted, as I think only a primitive Methodist can, look, look. Look, young man, look now. Then I had this vision. Not a vision to my eyes, but to my heart. I saw what the Savior Christ was. Now, I can never tell you how it was, but I no sooner saw whom I was to believe than I also understood what I was to believe. And I did believe in one moment. And as Spurgeon walked home, he could see an illustration of his salvation in the snow. Saw himself as white as snow, washed by the blood of Christ. That's what you need to do, right? That's what you need to do. Look to Christ. Turn your eyes off of your sins and of your failures and look to him. As the bronze serpent was raised in the wilderness and everyone who looked. So if you simply look to Christ, you will be forgiven. You will be washed. You will be saved. So where are you looking for your salvation? So we're saved from God's wrath. We're saved by grace alone. But yes, the third phrase phrase—the <clears throat> third phrase we need to look at, we're saved through faith. Through faith. Okay, look at verse 8 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is simply this, to trust in him. To trust in him. There was a man, um, if I've used this illustration before, it's, I think it would be good to repeat. There was a man who could walk on a thin wire over the Nigeria Falls with a wheelbarrow. What an accomplishment that is. Like people were cheering. People were looking at that and amazed. He asked the crowd, do you believe I can do this? They said, of course. We just saw you do it. We believe. He says, okay, climb in the wheelbarrow. Let's go. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm not trusting you. Okay, I'm not going to trust you with my soul. Like, no, that's, right? Because, and who, who, I don't want to blame them because if he makes a mistake, it's gone, right? <laughs> But it illustrates the point. Faith is not just believing things about Jesus. That's the key thing. It's not just saying, I know he's the son of God. I know he's the savior. No, it's climbing in the wheelbarrow. Lord, here I am. I cast my soul upon you. I'm climbing in the wheelbarrow, so to speak. And thank God he never fails. He will never fall, right? That's what faith is. Now, it's important to see the difference between faith and grace. There's an important distinction I want to make. The The text says we're saved by grace through faith. Not we're saved by faith through grace. There's an important distinction between those two. The faith, our faith is only the means of receiving our salvation. It's like the the hand that's drowning, the hand that grasps the life jacket or the, that's faith. It's just the empty hand. But the life jacket is the saving, is the grace. Right? We're not saved by faith. Faith itself doesn't save anybody. Grace saves people. Jesus saves people. And faith is merely that empty hand that takes takes the hand that pulls us out of our death. Imagine how how weird it would be if someone was just saved from drowning and he looks at his hand and he's like, wow, my hands are amazing. This hand has saved me. It's like, are you crazy? Right? But some believers act like that. Some believers are like, they're looking to their faith to save them. They're looking to their hands like, my faith must be so strong and so enabling. right? They're putting their faith in their faith. You see the difference? And not their faith in a living, resurrected person, the Lord Jesus. It's not our faith that saves us. It's grace. Through faith, faith just grabs the hand. Which leads us to the, third, uh, the fourth phrase to look at. And this is that it's a gift from God. Look at verse 8. It says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now, so the obvious question we need to answer in this verse is what is the word this referred to? It says, this is not your own doing. What is that this? And then it says, it is a gift from God. What is the it? Okay, so we have to do some Bible study here. And here a little bit of Greek makes a massive difference. So I'm going to um, nerd you out a little bit with some Greek, but I hope it will clarify what this verse means. Okay? So in Greek, the word this can be either masculine, feminine, or neuter. So it's a grammatical gender. In other words, um, to what it will refer to will be in the same gender. So if let's say faith was masculine, then the word this would be masculine as well, to, to make it clear that the this refers to that. Does it make sense? Okay? But here's the thing. The word this in Greek is neuter, while the words faith and grace are feminine. Okay, so stay with me. So Paul is not technically referring to faith. He's not technically referring to grace. He's referring to the whole thing. He's saying you are saved by grace, feminine, through faith, feminine, and this, neuter. This whole thing, the saving, the grace, the faith, all of this is from God. It's not from you. It's a gift. So although it doesn't specifically refer to faith, it includes faith. Do you see the difference there? Because I think that's important to say. Because what are we tempted most to, to believe comes from us and is not from God? Is it the grace? Is it the salvation? Or is it our faith? It's our faith, right? Of all the lists that could be referred to as a gift, the thing that we are most tempted to believe is from us is our faith and yet Paul wants to emphasize that listen the whole thing grace the faith the saving all of that is not from you it's from God just a few verses just to like show that this is what the rest of the bible teaches as well philippians 1:29 it says for it has been granted gifted to you that for the sake of christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer so it has been granted to you to believe in Jesus and to suffer for him. God also grants and gifts repentance. Listen to Second 2 Timothy 2.25. It says, The Lord's servant must correct his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. God grants faith and God grants repentance. Both are a gift from God. So if you believe, you can't boast, right? Because that's not from you. God chose you before the foundation of the world. God sent his son for you to, to pay for your sins. And God, when you heard the gospel, opened your ears, opened your heart, draw you to himself, raised you from the dead, and you believed. It's all from God. So the ultimate reason that you believe is God, Right? Here's one more verse, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4 to 5. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Okay, Paul, how do you know that God has chosen these believers? Okay. Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. How do we know who are the elect of God? They believe. <laughs> Those who have been chosen before the foundation of the world come. Now, again, just to clarify, we don't, it's not our job to figure out who the elect is. We don't know. Our job is simple. Pray, evangelize, go, die on the mission field. We, that's what we do. Okay. God does the saving, the drawing, the calling, and all of those beautiful things. He does that. But Paul says this, I know you're chosen because you believe. Because only the chosen believe. Only those who have been chosen will receive the word of God with power. Right? And here's the last phrase we're going to look at, and we close off with this. So what is the effects of this free grace granted to unworthy and unwilling sinners? Is this, that no one will boast. No one will boast. Verse 9 says, not a result of works, so that, what's the purpose? Not one person may boast. God chose, God redeemed, God gave the gift of grace, salvation and faith. And now there's only one thing left to do, Lord, we praise you, we worship you. Remember chapter one, three times in chapter one, to the praise, to the praise, to the praise of his glory. You see, beloved, we we often wonder when we think about the doctrine of election or God's grace, we often wonder this, Lord, why don't you give your grace to everybody? Like, if, if you are really this sovereign, if, if faith is really a gift, if repentance is a gift, if you chose and you have the ability to save anyone, then why didn't you do that for everybody, right? That's the wrong question. That's the wrong question. It's not. The right question is this Why did God save me? Lord, why did you save me? Why did you. Draw me to yourself, Lord. I I deserve hell. That's all I deserve. The day I sinned, I deserved to die, and yet you spared me, you spared me, you spared me, you drew me. Lord, how could you save me? So if you really understand the, the evil of your sin and the holiness of God, you would not object to this because it's incredible that God would even save one one person. And yet He does that. So beloved, in what do you boast? What do you feel proud about? You only have two options. You'll either be yourself, your works, and even your faith, your confidence in your own faith. Or it will be Christ. His grace, His salvation, His gift of faith, and His work. And this will be our boast. I hope we can share the boast of Paul in Galatians 6 verse 14. What does he say? He says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your grace has found us. Lord, like the song says, Lord, amazing grace. But save the wretch. Lord, we were wretches. We were dead. We were rebels. And yet, Lord, you, in your infinite and in your amazing grace, you stooped down and you sent your Son and you made us your people. Lord, I pray that you will truly, that your praises will truly well up in our hearts that we would truly be to the praise of your glorious grace. Lord, help us to turn away from our own sin. Help us to turn away from even our own faith and not to put our faith in our faith, not to trust in anything in ourselves, but to look solely and wholly to Christ. Our hope is found and built upon nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Lord, may that be true for us. May we only look to him. May we follow him. May we deny ourselves, pick up our crosses and follow him until we see him, the one whom our soul loves because you loved us first, face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name.